Welcome to this edition of Brave Hearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Brave Hearts. Well, welcome to another episode of Brave Hearts. I am here on Zoom with my good friend and colleague, Trina. And Trina, we caught her story back in 2017. And you can find that on the KVMR Storycatcher site. But her story of homelessness dates back really many years. And now she, of course, is going through another phase of her life experience. So, Trina, my first question is, how do you summarize your homeless experience? I think I was, some people, they pass judgment on it. I tried to be open about it because I didn't feel, actually, I didn't feel ashamed of it. I mean, it wasn't my fault. And the reason I chose to uh, stay homeless is that I ended up, but especially with car bills. So I decided instead of getting another car, and I ended up probably putting tens of thousands of dollars in a really old car, but it was worth it, you know, it's in great running shape. But as opposed to, you know, I couldn't take out any debt for another car. And I figured like getting something cheap, but you know, I was gonna end up having the same problems to begin with. So that was driving a lot of the, the homelessness, was trying to, and I did want to save more money too before I got a place. But actually, you know, I had set up a you know, pretty nice life. I would show up at the gym regularly about six days a week for a few hours, and then uh, go to the co-op for meals. They were totally fine. That was like one, the only place I really felt, I think, accepted in terms of like the staff and I mean in a couple I remember like Sean asking me okay you know as long as I wasn't you know I wasn't disrupting people I was usually on the computer reading stuff or it was working out but then all of a sudden I had this um called performance syndrome and it was this kind of bizarre chronic pain in my on my leg just it wouldn't go away and I think actually looking back this was you know kind of like God telling me you need to find a place and this was like early 2019 and I actually opened up to the idea of finding a place largely because it just became uncomfortable lying around there was very limited things I could do but the other thing that I had to deal with was sort of this chronic pain and it wouldn't go away. And then I went to a doctor and the doctor said, well, physical therapy, and if that doesn't work, surgery. And I'd already had an MRI done on this and the muscle, there's no damage to this muscle. And I am thinking surgery, I, oh, it usually doesn't work very well. <laughs> really, ruin my muscle. Yeah. Um, so, I started looking online because I was just like, this isn't making sense. And I came across Dr. John Sarno. He used to be actually, he was a doctor who was a pain specialist, chronic pain specialist, was at New York University. 
the School of Medicine has a pain management clinic. But he went through kind of evaluating, and he's like, yeah, we've had really very limited success with people. The thing is, I do disagree with his description of what was going on. He sort of goes into Freud. You don't really need to. I think what happens with each and every one of us is that we become too much of something. So for me, it's, um, you know, it was, I think it was anxiety, but also what happens is I think you get messages. The body sends pain signals when it wants to move on from a rough situation. And this situation was rough, namely because of the police, which I'll get into later. What I began to get an appreciation for through Sarno's work is how the mind can trigger pain because it's something else. It's not being resolved psychologically. The other thing is I also have kind of like this middle and lower back pain and it'll show up if I get really like anxious about something and it'll show up, but I keep with my routine. But the thing is to manage the thoughts. We're never trained to manage the thoughts that come with it. Clearly, Trina, you are this incredibly intelligent woman. How on earth did you end up living in your car? <laughs> For years. Uh, For years. Yeah. So I was adopted, and I did not know that I had inherited a brain disease called Huntington's. So this is a disease that impacts, it's a brain disease. It attacks the entire brain and it, it starts like in childhood. So now I knew um, the cognitive testing and social security came up with, I have a very poor working memory, but it's something I've always been dealing with. It was I did, when I was a ch young child in school, I did horribly. So what happened is actually the teachers all thought I was stupid, that I was I remember there was a meeting with us, a school psychologist, and the reason I remember it is that he was uh, a mess. His office was, and the thing I, I have to have, like in my own space, is like very well organized and stuff, but I think it's another thing from, it's an adaptation from the Huntington's, the lack of working memory. So I always have to keep things organized. But he had this puzzle on the coffee table and, there was a much more interesting puzzle on the shelf. So, he, so he's like, so he talked with me and I liked him. Actually, I thought he was my new teacher, but no, that wasn't. <laughs> and uh, so he uh, says, okay, I want you to solve this puzzle. So I figured if I solve that puzzle, they'd give me the other one. And uh, so he, I did easily. And, uh, but then I said, can I have the other one? And he goes, no. <laughs> You know, can't, can't ever get a break. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, so he told the teachers, quite the contrary, she's probably got a IQ between 130 and 140. He figured maybe some sort of developmental issue. But I really didn't start doing well in school until I could write things down. Okay, that helped. But it's still, I think it took me until probably intermediate school, junior high, before I started cranking out the grades. But you did end up cranking out the grades because you ended up going to Harvard. Right. I had asked my mother, it was like, a, actually, I think my, my, my version, inverse version of teen rebellion, most teens develop, you know, rebel outside society, but I was being written off and I felt it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but even in my family, and uh, so I asked my mother, I think it was about 12, she was the only person, much sure, who didn't write me off. 
she was always like very accepting and supportive, which I think helped a lot. She says, well, that would be uh, Harvard. Um, I said, that's where I'm going. And she says, well, women go to Radcliffe. I'm like, well, this is like the late 70s. And so I was really into like the whole like Billie Jean King and these women. I was reading about these women, like the first military academies. It's like, we can be as tough as you are. And that's kind of the same, I feel the same way or, you know, I had that resilience and that confidence. And, and junior, I think in junior high when I started there, you know, the bully would pick on me, and that's what I usually did. I retaliated. But this is when I was in my adult, you know, what, early teens. And uh, so when I was in school, I was the biggest kid. Oh, that was the other thing I think that helped. I was always the biggest kid until probably like junior high when the, you know, some of the boys would catch up with me. And so, you know, somebody bullied me and bothered me. I just cleaned their clock. And that was, those days, this was like the early 70s, bullying, it was like, don't be a tattletale. There wasn't, you know, social thing about not doing anything about the police. Even when, you know, some of these yard monitors were told. And, and yeah, I remember just, like, fine, you won't support me, I'll be, you know, and I, I would give lectures. You just to took care of yourself, it sounds like. You just said, uh, you know, I'm going to break away from the image of women right now. I'm going to go to Harvard. I'm, if somebody's going to bully me, I'm going to clean their clock. Although, as I got older, then we're, I'm about another <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you, you need to get your, you need, and she was right. When I, yeah. when I started doing that middle school, she was like, you need to get your act together. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanity. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org.